I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Don't stop. This is what you get. Let this f- honestly. I've guessed it. I've absolutely guessed it. I enjoy this so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome on in. It's another edition of the Mode Push podcast brought to you by KSL Sports, KSL Podcast. Alex Keery, Dan Jimenez, another uh, show. And what's what's bu- what's a bummer about this, Dan, is that like we just haven't been able to see each other very often. The off season really is the freaking off season in F one. They take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm ready to get back to a show or two every week. I'm yes. excited for this to start up. Dan. Absolutely, but we are. It's just as important, honestly. I'm just about the entertainment, and it's just as important for me to get drive to survive back. And we're going to have breakdowns. Uh, We're going to have a couple of episodes of breakdowns of this season of F1's Drive to Survive on Netflix. And so uh, that'll be coming up, I think, next week. When's the actual drop? We're talking about uh, the 24th, 25th. So we're going to just get right into it. And uh, it's when I'm watching it in the middle of the night and my wife goes, what are you doing? Research. (laughs) Research. That's all. It's part of my job. I have to do it, honey. I have to watch all these. I have to binge watch them. It's for uh, it's so Dan and I. It's so Dan won't know more than I do right. uh, on right. the podcast. Yeah, right. uh, here we go. So the the cool thing that's happened since we've last gotten together is, of course, the uh, the rollouts of these new cars. And every, I mean, these these are just this is PR. These are PR events. PR stunt. Yep. Last year we were just going, what on earth are these cars going to look like? And now we've gotten more into that mode of, okay, we know what that look is. We've seen what this look is. And now the cars are rolling out and everybody's going to go, how on earth can Red Bull just not be the automatic favorite? And so mm-hmm. out of the big rollouts, you've done your homework on all these and we're forcing you to just kind of break it down for us uh, on some of these reveals and what these these teams have found out about these cars. Because ultimately the drivers have been in these cars already. Yeah. I don't know how much. Like, how much are butts and seats uh, at this point of the year so far? Uh, a lot in the simulator and uh, the shakedowns that they've been doing after the reveals are probably the first time they've actually gotten in the car. So when they do those, like when they're when they're interviewing on the track and they're like actually discussing like what was going on with the car or whatever, that stuff just happened. Like they, they, that's maybe their first introduction, and then they have the PR team telling them we're going to focus on saying these things. We yes. are excited about this part yeah, of the car. Hold the party line on, yeah. 
the development of the car. But yeah, they're obviously um, with the cost caps and and everything, the Formula One's going to restrict the amount of on track time that they get. And so uh, after these reveals and as they do the the shakedown lap th- around Silverstone, that's that's the first time that they're going to get a real feel. But they won't really know until next week when they go to um, on track testing in uh, in Bahrain. Uh, and th- that's when we're going to know who has what. Well, where do you want to start? Should we go champions first and then uh, go through the lineup? Or how is it? That, what are the ones that caught your attention, I yeah. guess, is the most important? I think the ones that caught my attention the most uh, were Mercedes today. Uh, and then I, uh, Alfa Romeo's was pretty surprising as well. But starting with Mercedes, the big thing last year was the obviously that Mercedes was not as fast as everybody expected them to be and that their design was the most out there. Like it seemed that like there was everyone was either kind of looked like a Ferrari or kind of looked like a Red Bull. And then Mercedes has been this like third odd duck with the zero side pod. The side pods were the biggest issue. That's the big issue. And so throughout the year when their performance was suffering, everyone was like, well, must be the zero side pods. You're the only ones that have that. But it was uh, what Mercedes will say is that was really more tied towards the the porpoising that they were. Uh, dealing with more than the other teams and that it wasn't really the side pod that that was kind of like a red herring and they've doubled down on that with the development of this car that what they've released and shown shown to everybody as of today was that like they're sticking with the zero side pod now it's shaped a little bit different the inlet is positioned in a different spot but in the end it's still the the same design thesis as as last year and um as they've interviewed toto uh and uh george and everybody they're sticking with the same story which is oh well our performance issues last year weren't really with the side pod you know uh, toto was saying that it's uh more um it's more beneficial to just stick with what you know and try to iterate on what you have than to try and start from fresh. Right. And because, you know, the quote he was saying is you take three steps back and two steps forward when you do that versus just try to iterate on what we have right now. So that's what they've brought to the table for the start of this year is a refined uh, a refined uh, chassis. But there are other changes that in this uh, W14 car that I think are more significant than the side pod stuff. And that's namely the... Um, uh, the front wing and the front suspension are very different than what they had last year. So here's George right after he got off the track, the first kind of uh, his first go really in the W14. And uh, they immediately asked him like, hey, so you had last year's car, which everyone like, you know, wants to forget. And if, yeah, you're, in the, yeah. if you're in the Mercedes yeah, world, the dumb truck. Yeah. Uh, what What is the what are the reactions so far? This was George's first reaction after he got out of the W14 uh, this year so far. Uh, I said that to everybody today when they were wishing me happy birthday. I said, it'll be happy if the car's fast. So, uh, no, but unfortunately on a day like this, there's just not enough opportunity to, to see how quick the car is. I mean, everything feels okay, but this sport's a relative game. And uh, if our competitors have improved the same way as we have, we'll be in the same position as last year, but... Um, the amount of work and dedication that's gone into this W14, um, yeah, I guess we can we can go in feeling feeling confident that we put everything on the table. Yeah. What was interesting when I saw it was it still got the slim side pods and you know according to the the, the news release with it you've kept the DNA of the car whereas one or two of us were expecting a, a radical reworking. So any anxieties that might have some of those issues that plagued you last year. I don't think so. I think what people need to remember is we won a race last year with that design and we are 99% sure that our issues weren't necessarily related to that narrow sidepod concept. You know, visually it looks pretty drastic, 
but all of the, the magic happened underneath and how the floor and the wings interact. Um, so time will tell. Time will tell. I think it's interesting. If George were not a ra- if he were not in the seat, if he didn't have a driver's seat, he would be the vice president of communications for PR <laughs> for these guys because like he, no, not necessarily. Like going into this whole thing of it, it is, it's a PR like memo of yeah. I mean, the question of we thought there was going to be a big redesign because you guys kind of sucked last year. That was the idea, right? And it was yeah. no, no, you've had no, all, gonna, all we, season to work on this. We won a race last year. Like that so Alpha Tower did the year before. Like that doesn't right. mean that's not justification anything. that your car Who was cares? fast. Like yeah. Mercedes does not want to win a race. They want to freaking dominate and not get embarrassed like they did last year against Sass- yeah. or against uh, uh Red Bull. Yeah. And what caught my attention was that uh, at the end of um the questions um for Toto, he threw in, "Oh, and we'll be bringing some updates to the side pod early in the season." And it's like, okay, well, why aren't they ready right now? Uh, and are you? is this a head fake? Are you guys going to bring a totally different looking set of side pods three races, four races into the season? I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's really strange. I think what's happening is that the cost cap is playing more into the ability for these teams to do radical changes to their car than maybe they had previously thought. And I've heard that from um, a bunch of different teams. And Christian Horner, of course, like the king of sandbagging, was also mentioning this that it's like, hey, this it, the the cost cap is really um, hindering the amount of development we can do and how fast we can do it. So there's just a lot of parts um, and pieces to these cars that are being carried over from last year's car because the the relative um, performance gain that you'd get out of putting money into developing you know a portion of the car isn't the same as if you put it all into the floor and the front wing and the side pods. Like that's where all your gains are to be had. And so it's it. it, it Another thing that's interesting from these reveals is just everyone is uh, converging their design towards either Red Bull or Ferrari. Like Aston Martin looks like a Red Bull now, like with their that's, side pods. Uh, hey, you know what? They have a history of uh, exactly looking yeah. across the uh, across the paddock and uh, getting some ideas, right? Yeah, and then the uh, Alfa Romeo and the Haas all look like the Ferrari now with like the deep bathtubs. I think the Haas car looks pretty good. I I thought that the design this year of the, of the American uh, team does look pretty dope. I, I like the. You know, I, hope springs eternal this time of year. You forget mm-hmm. relative, um, you know, inadequacies from the year before. And we also kind of dial back how dominant I think Red Bull is in our minds just so we don't think to ourselves this right. is going to be an, another kind of uh, annoyingly runaway with year for, for Red Bull. And But, you know, there's a team like Ferrari who everybody kind of agreed that they had a really quick car. And yeah. their design was awesome. And the the idea is that everything else was the problem that had nothing to do with the car. And so you just go, all right, performance issues and driver issues, we don't really have those. We had uh, management issues and we had stri- uh, strategy. And, and, and reliability. And reliability. Yeah. yeah. And so those are things that they've been talking about. But you sent me a, uh, a, a rollout of the... <laughs> Well, at least somebody putting together some of the the uh, highlights on TikTok, at least of the Ferrari reveal. Ferrari doesn't go; uh, they go big on yeah. everything. Yeah, it was I've seen their a whole I, event in years past. They do the in studio ones, you know, and it's like <laughs> everybody clapping. And be, it looks like a, a Steve Jobs kind of deal on uh, yeah, yeah keynote and, address. This one was like at 
I was it at Monza or is it yeah. in? It was at Monza at the race at the racetrack. Roll everybody out there, fill the grandstand. Audience, uh, you know, outside they had. Uh, well, you can take a listen for yourself because it was just actually uh, quite the scene. So here you go. Here's what it was. Uh, ignore the uh, Ferrari with one of the all-time yeah, greatest F1 launches. Violence. Grazie, ragazzi. Grazie. Grazie. Uh, Charles, he speaks Italian. Look at the crowd getting pumped. Immediately, the 1st of January, my body was asking to go racing again, you know. And you can feel the responsibility for the team. It's a great honor. But at the end of the day, I think the most important is to be successful. That's the car. It's red. It's red. Oh, wow. Who thought? It's red and black. <laughs> Crowd excited, getting the first look at the car, the black and red. It's just All a big party. It is. Ferrari 2023 Formula One Championship contender, Carlos! Uh, you can say a lot about Ferrari. You cannot diss on the Tifosi. And you know what? All the things that you might have hated about your uh, about your team last year, Ferrari fans, you forget about those things. Like, again, it's what every dopey group of fans, that's what we do. Yeah. We will roll up and forget what happened last year somehow. Like, the selective uh, memory kind of helps. But Ferrari does things big. And obviously, the the thing about Ferrari is – you just know they're going to be quick now because last year they made massive a massive jump. They went from 2022 and a dog, mm-hmm. or 2021, excuse when, me, and yeah. a dog to 2022 last year where they were kind of the team to beat when it came to actual performance. And Red Bull ended up, you know, uh, uh, running them down pretty quick in the season. And they didn't have nearly the yeah. reliability issues. Yeah, but. the first quarter of the season, Ferrari was an absolute missile. And then they had the reliability problems, and so they had to dial back the the output and performance of the motor and now they say all that's been resolved that's fixed so if they can get back all the horsepower gains that they had to give up for the majority of last season plus uh the incremental like savings uh or uh, improvements on aero that they've been able to develop over the year man they they might be the favorite you know they were extremely fast and we forget about that because once they had to dial it back red bull just dominated from there on Okay, so we've gone through some of the uh, bigger teams, but of course the 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 the, uh, the bovine in the room is uh, the Red Bull. <laughs> so uh, what have they done? Like because they're kind of doing the uh, it's been pretty low key because it's like, look, what do we have to prove? If we already won the championship by you know with with what ten races left or whatever it was or or four races left or whatever. Uh, we don't need to ro- have some big rollout and convince you that we're going to be good. Yeah, their rollout was more focused on the Ford partnership, announcing that Ford was going to be taking over their, um, you know, from Honda their their engine program in 2026, and like the the car reveal was felt almost secondary to that. So I think you're right. Like they they're um, the de facto uh, leader going into the season, so they don't have a lot to prove. They also don't want to give up a ton of secrets either. And so I think they just were like point everybody's attention onto this, you know, big partnership announcement and, uh, you know, don't don't worry too much about, about what's underneath the uh, the hood of this thing, because, you know, I, I expect it's just going to be more of the same last year. I think George made a good point in that clip that it's, you know, Mercedes can make a bunch of gains, but they have to make more gains than Red Bull did to even catch up sure. like else. 
everybody if everybody brings the same improvements, then it's going to be the same differential that that we saw on track last year. So I think uh, Red Bull uh, is probably uh, sandbagging it. If the, it, it and also you hear Christian talking about how much uh, the penalty that they received for going over the cost cap has played into their development for this car. What's and his vibe on that? That they are. Oh, they, they, now they're just scraping by. Yeah, exactly. Is that what it is? Yes. Is that the point? Yeah, yeah. We're just so poor and impoverished over here at Red Bull now. <laughs> we can barely afford, you know, a, a single minute of uh, of wind tunnel time. But they're going to be fine. Um, let's go back for a second to the Ford partnership. So in, in the, you know, our last episode, we were talking about how excited we were about Cadillac saying they wanted to get in. Yeah. And the Andretti world and Cadillac partnership seemed like such a uh, a great leap. Christian Horner, speaking of, he was like, why are people uh, – he dogged people for being negative about Cadillac wanting to get in. Uh, it, before that, the week before, when we had done another episode before that as well, you said, I think it's going to be Ford before it's before it's GM. Yeah. And then we had the Cadillac announcement, but nothing's really come from that. And then Ford does sneak in the back door yeah. and get themselves on the – and, you know, credit to – uh, Credit to Chris Farley's brother, uh, the yeah, CEO of Jim, Ford. Yeah. Jim is like, the guy has racing desires. Like, mm-hmm. Ford has walked away from that that uh, that racing development mentality sometimes in its mm-hmm. in its history. Yeah, and everybody wants a piece now. And so, w- what is the partnership exactly? Is it and how does it work in comparison to? Like, is it just like, hey, they're an engine manufacturer now, and does that open the door for them later to maybe even have, uh, or, or would it be easier for them then to say, hey, we're producing power units for Red Bull, we're also going to produce power units for ourselves as we get into this thing, or maybe, uh, you know, they, yeah, maybe they have the Lincoln brand, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> out there running around the Lincoln Continental. Uh, I think that this is a genius move by Ford because they're able to just like, like you said, come in through the back door. And be able to have that big Ford logo on the spoiler uh, or the rear wing of a, a car in the front of the pack from like day one. Whereas Andretti Cadillac, they're net new. They're fighting for an incremental spot on the. It almost feels shaky, like they would even like it's not going to happen. Almost that's yeah. like kind of the vibe. Yeah, you get. yeah, super risky. But where Ford's like, okay, Honda doesn't want to continue to put money into this. We'll take it over and we'll put that Ford sticker on the back of Max's car. And I think they'll get all the marketing return that Cadillac would get out of coming in with Andretti, but just short circuit it and not have the risk. Now they're going to have to put a lot of money into engine development. It's not it's not free. Uh, one interesting thing is that Red Bull has been petitioning to get in twenty twenty six like a new engine manufacturer status, which gives you more test time and more availability uh. to develop these engines. But F- F- Formula One so far has said no. Like you're just taking over from Honda. This isn't. It's not like Ford's coming in and starting from zero and like designing, you know. Right, they're essentially going to take the plan and the and what what uh, Honda Power did. Yeah, because Red Bull said, "Oh yeah, we're manufacturers too now," but they just had you know mm-hmm. scratched out the Honda parts and put Red Bull on it, and that's essentially what they're talking about. Is now you already have a, a power unit you might make improvements to, but uh, it's already been kind of developed for you. Yeah, but that's an interesting play too because then you're going, look, you've got uh, Audi getting in. Around the same time, right? We're talking 2026. Yep. 2026. Yep. That's an exciting thing to think that in 2026 you're going to have an American power unit provider, uh, Audi, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on the on the racetrack, and and maybe Andretti if you like if if they can figure out this whole uh, expansion fee, mm-hmm. then I think Andretti uh, Cadillac will join. I think as they say, uh, 
as they say in our our uh, shared love for the Spanish language, si Dios quiere, si Dios right? quiere. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's God willing, God. God willing, we can make this thing happen. I mean, I don't know. It, we have no control over it. Yeah. Si Dios quiere, we'll see yeah. some. Uh, we'll see some Americans. Yeah, uh, if God, racing God willing, and if you bring six hundred million dollars to the table, then <laughs> sure too. you can have two spots on the grid. Uh, other highlights from uh, the rollouts of some of these teams here, Alf- because we, we yeah. uh, McLaren, who we were putting up toward like the front of everything up until last year, uh, now is just like I mean they kind of they had the golf. Uh, the guys in the golf live or in the golf like uh, fire suits, kind of walking mm-hmm. around the car, and I thought, well, that's cool. But I, you know what, uh, Zach Brown went from being a hero uh, there at the uh, at the MTC there uh, for them, and yeah, ended up being like that. I don't know where McLaren's. At. I didn't even hear much about their rollout either. Yeah, there was nothing uh, substantial or, or uh, headline worthy that came out of their launch, and just a lot of quotes around. Oh, we're still really investing for like future years, you Ugh. know. And it's like, oh, well, okay. So are the Jets, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it's, I mean, you Lando has that super long contract, and he, I definitely think he is a talent that could be winning races repeatedly. But I just, he's not in, he's not in he the right equipment that, too. And you know what? You saw, you saw a crestfallen Lando last year. Yeah, like a guy who knows that he should be winning races. Had to watch Danny Rick win one. Like yeah. in a weird Oof. way, in a weird like twist of fate, right? Like yeah. this is a, a gut punch. I'm I cannot wait for that episode. By the way, yeah. of uh, of Drive to Survive, just the awkwardness of that because I know they're going to play up the the Lando Danny Rick relationship, which people tried to already make a thing last year, and mm-hmm. and and I think it's probably less of a deal, but uh, not with Netflix in town. They're going to make a big deal out of it, I bet. And yeah, yeah, it's just a weird place because McLaren was making so many gains, and then here we are now, and it's just like. For future development years, that's the worst thing you want to hear for a, for a company that also needs to make money. By the way, right? Yeah, no, it's a it's rough over there. If they have another year like they did last year, I wonder if Lando tries to get his way out of that contract. I, I, I think if I were him, I would. But I, it, going on to other teams, I think the Alfa Romeo one uh, launch was really cool. It's beautiful looking car. And uh, the livery looks really cool. But uh, they, along with Mercedes and a bunch of other um, teams, are starting to remove or they're going black. Like half their cars are black. Yeah. And that's exposed carbon fiber. That's not black paint. And the reason being is paint is not free. Like when it comes to weight savings, you can save a surprising amount of, of, of weight on the car by not by choosing no, just to not much, paint it. Though, for real, though. So I've, paint. Th- I've heard six kilograms if you paint the entire car. So six times Sorry, two point two. Is that a thousand pounds? What yeah, no, that? six times two point two. So <laughs> okay. yeah, fourteen, fifteen pounds. Eesh. And you know, that's that's not nothing. And all of these teams are fighting to get to the weight limit. Which is like so interesting to me because like in NASCAR. Did they go up or down this year? I can't remember. Did they add two kilos or take they, two away? It's a, around eight hundred kilos. It's around, yeah, it was like seven hundred and ninety eight that mm-hmm. I think maybe went to eight hundred. And so I think they they've got a little bit more, but like Coming from the world of stock car racing and NASCAR, it was like this car by design is lighter than the minimum, and then we're going to throw in ballast into the 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 body rails of this car in order to make weight. But we're at, it's the opposite with F one. Like the the what's required to put on the car weighs so much that they're always fighting to get down to the minimum. And most cars yeah. are are heavier than than the regulations and it's like a big accomplishment if you can actually get to the minimum where where nascar was everyone is exactly on the limit because you just add your uh, your ballast until you get there that's perfect for the rookies when they put it into the wall 
a few times uh, this year. Your Logan Sargents, your uh, Nick DeVries, yeah. et cetera. Then it won't cost as much to paint it, right? That's right. It's just yeah, be ex- a bunch of exposed carbon fiber that they'll just be like, yeah, we just have to put that together. Yeah, it'll it's be. In- that's, a, yeah. that's a crazy thought. Yeah. But that's the amount of. That is like a Pinewood Derby style, like level of mm-hmm. hack for a dad who wants to uh, win the Pinewood <laughs> Derby. So that that that's interesting that. Well, I mean, I guess they don't want the car to be heavier, but because of all the stuff that they do put on these, you think about how big the power unit is, how heavy mm-hmm. the power unit is. Yeah. Um, all the instrumentation that needs to go on there, like computers, yeah. extraordinaire across the board, yeah. everything. So it's it's the it, it's hard to make weight. So uh, you see Mercedes and Alfa Romeo, and everyone's m- most everybody has put some amount of black or unpainted um, area on their car. And you wonder, is F1 at some point going to say, like, some percentage of your car has to be branded and painted, else, like, everyone will be a black car at some point. Right. With stickers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just black just black carbon fiber and then just put on the old sticker. Yeah, the Mercedes um, sticker. We don't, when do we actually know what the capabilities of these cars are going to be? Or when when is it that, that, that these teams can't hide anymore, like, we're slow, we're fast? Is it really just, like, race one or in weekend one? Or is it, like, no, winter testing, you're already seeing – these massive jumps here. Yeah, I think the the winter testing um, or the, the the on track testing next week will know. Last year, that's when we saw that Mercedes was slow, and everyone was like, "Are they faking it? Are they sandbagging?" And it's like, no, they were actually slow. Hmm. I think the the teams want to know, okay, the relative gauge on where they landed, and so they will go all out in that testing to and and I think that's like on a pure speed basis, and you'll get some sense of race pace, but uh, with those testing sessions, they're just iterating through so many changes. Uh, trying to validate what they've developed over the winter in the simu- in the simulator that you probably don't get as much of a feel for relative race pace, but definitely all out like pull speed will know who's quickest. And then it's hard because then, and this is the part of F1 that I always have a hard time with. It's like, you'll have the best driver, not necessarily in the best car. Right. And we've seen that before. I think with Red Bull, you're basically seeing, you know, a top two driver, mm-hmm. uh, in, in also the, in the best one of the best cars yeah. yeah and so what you hate to see is we brought up lando already that's a guy who and that's the part of you know I, i'm not a big indie car guy but to their credit like they make these those cars are the same and mm-hmm. and i don't know at what point every sport has to make these concessions to be more compatible with the viewer because mm-hmm. you and i are the ones who drive it right like we we're, we, you know, in my case, I'm a new fan relatively, you know, over the last five years to F1. And do you ever see F1 going, we're just going to have to have the same, not regulations, the same builds on these cars with the same, I mean, and it's hard because, you know, you have power unit producers and they're different across the board. And that's like a big economy piece of that pie. But there's also mm-hmm. like the idea of not being able to watch these guys race to the best of their ability and have to watch a car break down and go, no, but that's the exciting part when a car sucks. Like <laughs> yeah. that is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's the part that doesn't appeal to uh, appeal to like the newer race fans is the everything behind the engineering that goes into the cars and like getting the excitement out of like, oh, wow, you know, this is why they're more reliable or this is where they're more fast. Like, we just want to know, like, okay, LeBron James is the best player, so, yeah. like, he's going to make it to the finals. It doesn't matter really who's on his team. You know, Lando, 
he's we all know he's super talented. He should be running up front and getting podiums. And it, get, it like you said, it just gets frustrating when uh, these young talents that people like that they know are good just can't compete for reasons that, as a fan base, you don't fully understand or appreciate. But on top of it, the engineering side, which you're a massive fan of, and yeah. like that's you nerd out on that stuff, and it that's a massive part of it too. Some of these guys who were able to crack that code, you think about like Williams in the '80s. And some of the things that they made, some of the uh, within the regulations, some of the changes they made to the car. One made massive leaps in, you know, they were winning, they were they were gaining a full second on laps or a two mm-hmm. seconds on laps over teams. Uh, but then those, those developments also ended up on the modern day cars that we use now. You know, the active suspensions and and uh, ABS braking and all that stuff. Yeah. That, those are all born off of. Of, uh, of a lot of these designs of what these guys have been going through, traction control, uh, you know, all that stuff yeah. was born out of F1 essentially because an engineer had an idea and said, this is how we're going to win races. And it's not even about necessarily being safe or anything. It was more just about how can we win these races mm-hmm. and be better than these other guys. Yeah. And that's that's the fun part for me from the engineering side of it. And um, I, I think that we're not going to – we have not yet fully seen the effects of the cost cap. Even though it was in place last year – I think we have to get through a, another cycle of it in through like a second off season with the cost cap before we see, okay, how competitive is this going to make the sport? And so I think the real test is going to be this season. Uh, from what we're seeing in all of these uh, releases and these uh, car launches is that the car designs are converging towards, you know, two to maybe three predominant designs. And my sense is that the team or the teams are going to tighten up a bunch in terms of their competitiveness and their speed this year uh, relative to last year, because there just, there isn't as much money uh, sloshing around for Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari to run away with the development. Hmm. Everyone else can catch up. If, well, yeah. If they can spend to the cost cap. I'm interested. I, I just, I get, I get sucked in. And next week we're going to be watching uh, last season of Drive to Survive and getting ready for what the uh, what the final testing is going to be. And then once – I mean, we're a month out from the season right now. I mean, like we're, yeah. we're less than a month out from the season. And so it's going to happen quick. It's going to – and these first few races, it's great that it's a 23 – is it 23 races this year now? 23 because China didn't get replaced. Yeah. Yet. So 23 races this year, and really the first like three or four, we're all just kind of going – don't know what we have here, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, I just want it to be close. Like, please, somebody run down Red Bull uh, and don't be dominant. Like, those are the things <laughs> I want. It's like, don't – Mercedes, don't find some extra gear. You know Toto has been, uh, you know, sleepless nights, <laughs> him trying to figure things out because that dude's a perfectionist. And so yeah. uh, I'm maybe, looking forward to Maybe it, though, next week sure. we should do our predictions. For this – yes. For the season. Absolutely. Uh, Drive to Survive will drop, and we will have those uh, episode breakdowns. Dan and I are going to watch it, and then uh, you can get your thoughts in there as well. So uh, for Dan Jimenez, Alex Curie, it is our Mode Push podcast. Download it wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe, uh, down, uh, comment as well uh, on our uh, on either the Apple podcast or the Google Play, whatever the whatever the platform you listen to your podcast. Go in there, leave a nice little comment about how uh, smart Dan is, right. and then we'll uh, we'll keep rolling forward here. So for Dan, I'm Alex. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back again next week, and then it doesn't stop for a long time. All right, we'll see you next time, everybody.
two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.